Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. You don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do shit. <laughs> I love that quote, dude. I'm glad you put that there. Anyway, my name is Thomas Frank, and I'm here as always with my good friend, Andrew. What are you drinking, dude? Just, it's been a long time since we talked. I know. It's been almost 12 hours. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough of me, can you? Nope. Um, I'm just drinking an Einstock Oligard Icelandic Toasted Porter. And I'm Ooh. fucking stoked for this episode. What are you, yeah. what are you drinking, Thomas? Hey, you're learning. <laughs> I'm just drinking Starbucks. I didn't have the heart to tell them, but they, they changed their... Uh, their, the colors of their cups, mm. and I am outraged. What I'm color so is it? I'm so angry. It's yellow now. What? And I can't believe this betrayal. I'm going to go write a lot of blog posts about how yellow is the color of jaundice, and that is a <laughs> disease, and basically Starbucks is promoting diseases. That's not a disease. That's wow. just Wow. I definitely didn't kidneys. think you were going the, the, the jaundice <laughs> route, but I that, 10 points for originality. And well, yeah, you got to be original. If you're going to come up with fake outrage to get attention, you have to be original. I mean, somebody already took that it's satanic. That's already been done. True. So. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm an expert at garnering attention from being outraged. Are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we should maybe have a competition one day. <laughs> no, I, I ain't mad. Though I, I, I will say that I'm not a fan of like pastelish colors. I've always thought the color palette of like at least corporate Easter color theming is i don't like it is that what this is is yellow uh, speaking uh, I mean, from complete well, they're ignorance. doing like it's like spring but they're doing like a yellow and a babyish blue mm. like there's two colors and it just reminded me of like how i don't like easter's weird pastelli colors that they typically market with i don't know i'm a man who likes bold brick. colors yeah i mean i like you know brick buildings with like wood paneling on the walls and like the color of brandy look i don't know i, just I like don't mind like, pastel yeah, colors colors i don't mind pastel colors as long as they're bold pastel colors yeah like you look at it and it punches color. you in the face exactly yeah it just it can't just be mute it can't look like a nursery mm. you know like sitting in a nursery with like a crib or something no thank you anyway what are we talking about today dude we are talking about monetization and i think under the umbrella, pricing to a degree. And okay. uh, this is a few weeks in, because I, I think we we're setting the stage, but really there is nothing more important than this, because without this, you don't have a business. Whoa, there's nothing more important than the vision, Andrew, mm. and the customer. The money's second. Vision doesn't pay the rent. <laughs> I actually paid my rent in vision bucks just the other day. Actually, it could pay uh, the rent <laughs> if you're an optometrist. That's true. Yeah, vision does pay the bills if you're an optometrist. But unts. anyway, okay, so <laughs> uh, wah, wah. where do we start on monetization? This is a big topic. So I guess like we've, we've gone through this whole online business month. We've talked about validating your idea. We've talked about, you know, the different types of things you could potentially do. Mm. We've talked about making connections in your industry. Now we're to the monetization part. So first, I just want to kind of state the goal. And I think Corbett okay. was like maybe like 60%, 50% agreeing with this. I, okay. I really believe that. Uh, and and I, I've refined 
the phrase slightly that I think you could earn 1K in month 12 of your business with a trend towards growth. So, you know, um, you the goal is you're going to build a business. You're going to be focused and hopefully kind of we're setting the stage for that. And with focus, not full time, you could hit 1K in, in month 12. So like kind of, uh, yeah. So your thesis here is that if somebody starts a business today before one year is up, they will be to $1,000 in monthly recurring revenue, basically. Yes. Okay. And are you saying like you can do that in any business or like there's a specific type of business that you're thinking they would do it in? Well, I, I want to be clear. I'm just trying to say like it took me way more than a year to make $1,000 a month as a blogger. Mm. You know, One so of, maybe I didn't put in as much time as I could have at the beginning. I think that we... And and we definitely have talked about it a lot, and we will talk about it a little bit in this episode, but I think that we have accidental businesses and perhaps one about it in the most arduous, lengthy process possible. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, if, so. if you were trying to make money, I wouldn't necessarily say follow what Andrew and Thomas have done. We now have businesses that make money, and so the goal is to kind of... Um, shine a light where I think it wasn't really shown for us. Like we stumbled into this. Okay. So should we start with like how you can make money? Yes. Yeah, so I, I also wanted to say one thing is like, let, let's be real. Cause you're like, which businesses would make a thousand dollars? And I want to be real that a thousand dollars is not a lot of money. It may feel like a lot of money to you based on your situation, whatever, but with focused effort, $1,000 is not a lot of money to earn. Yeah, well, it doesn't seem like a lot of money to you. I could see that it would seem like a lot of money to somebody who is currently making zero. Right. Uh, like my friend Ashley, she currently sells like posters and T-shirts on Redbubble and sites like that. Um, and I know that to her, $1,000 a month on, of sales on that site would be a lot. You know, so it really does matter. So I, I guess if you're just saying like in a grand sense, you know, where like the upper limit is Berkshire Hathaway and Exxon Mobil and like Amazon. Yeah. A thousand dollars a month is peanuts, but it all depends on the scope of what you're trying to do, you know, and like how much time you're putting in and what business you're getting into. Yes. If you're selling you so know, fan t-shirts on Redbubble, then yeah. In month one, maybe you'll, lot. you'll lose a thousand dollars. You will make nothing, whatever. But with 12 months of focused effort using the hypothesis process that we discussed about in last episode that you proposed, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then if you are uh, thoughtful about monetization, which we're going to talk about today, um, in a year, I think it's doable. And like, so, say, say you were selling widgets and you profited $20 per widget. That's only 50 widgets in a month. And if you're using the internet, which we are compelling you to at least be a portion of your business, there are billions of people on the internet. And you only need so to So are you saying that... Is your hypothesis that you can make one thousand a month profit in month twelve? Then let's stick with let's stick with the revenue. Fine, let's stick with the revenue. Because <laughs> I think it really depends on your business. You know, mm. you might have a, some pretty big expenses depending on what you do. I'll tell you what: if it's a thousand in revenue, I think that is an even easier goal to achieve. And look, if yeah, you make a thousand and you you smartly reinvest that all back in, you know, blah blah blah. Anyways, let's talk about monetization. Okay. 
So <laughs> where should we start? Like the types of monetization? Uh, before Okay, in the last episode you brought up um, this, this concept of testing an idea. Like you come up with a hypothesis and you run a small mm-hmm. test to see if it's validated, right? Like, yeah. will anyone use a rental property calculator? Does anyone need a course on how to shave better? You know, uh, so on and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. does anyone want to rent a property if you buy a property? These these are all businesses. Validation, I think, the word, like, if you have a thousand, like, how many subscribers do you have, Thomas, to your email list? Uh, 130,000. 130,000. That, that is a huge number. I only have like, like 11 and a half or something. Okay. Um, 130,000 and 11,000 does not validate anything. Right? Like, it you, validates that people wanted a copy of my book. That, that you gave away for free, which is <laughs> that not. That I gave away for free. Which so is it validates not really, that people yeah. do, people are willing to exchange their email in, uh, in exchange for a free copy of a book. But that that but is what's validated. But to, yes, that does not validate that I can make money. That is not a business on anything, right? Like yeah, so, your your play, yeah, your play is to monetize somewhere else, and you, you reel them in with the book, and then something, right? And that that's a common right. strategy. So, one thousand email subscribers, I do not believe validates a business. Um, if you have yeah. one thousand people, say say you have an ice cream shop or a lollipop shop, and one thousand people come and they take your lollipop or ice cream for free, I do not think that validates a business. So what you're saying is, if you want to validate that your business will actually make money, your test has to include getting someone to actually fork out money. Yes. So, and and it could scale where it's like, um, say I buy clothes and I resell them, <clears throat> you know, and I buy the clothes for $10. If I sell them for $1 and people buy it, I definitely validated a losing business, right? So yeah, part of what I want to cover here is you're really validating if you have a business that people buy it. And then what is a generally appropriate way to make sure that you're validating what would be a successful business and not mm-hmm. just like, I don't know, a charity. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one thing I want to tack onto this is I hear a lot of people talking about validation in terms of like asking people, would you buy this? Mm. Um, and I mean, that that's a commonly used thing, but there's a huge difference between people saying, yes, I would buy that and you actually asking them, hey, okay, can you whip out your credit card right now and buy this from me right now? Yeah. So one form of validation that I've seen used to success um, is that people will email their list saying, hey, I'm thinking about building something. Would you like to pre-buy it? And and I don't think that this works for everything. I think it works for a lot of things. And I think it's an awesome idea. Or like actually, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, like those are great validation tools because people are literally putting their money where their mouth is to say, I want this. And it makes it, it makes the risk in developing the product, at least from, do you have an audience uh, standpoint, much lower. It, it, I'm actually, it, I'm so glad you brought it up because it's literally an idea validation engine. And we've seen time and time mm-hmm. again, ideas that f- are the entire gamut of whatever could possibly be sold or provided, be successful yeah. on like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you know. And I've done this a few times actually. Um, I bought the mean all like carry on backpack 
uh, on Kickstarter before it was ever made. And I got that for about $100 off of the retail price. Same with that messenger bag I have. I got that for about 50 bucks off retail price uh, because I put money up before the thing even existed. You know, there was this band, or it was, I, I believe they still exist. They're called Hyper Story. And okay. it was uh, I, years ago. I was on Facebook back when I, I used Facebook, and I had a thing on the sidebar that said, uh, you like the gorillas, you will definitely love Hyperstory, and it was a Facebook ad to pre-buying their album, and I really? totally bought it, and I loved the shit out of it. Did they have any music for you to preview? Uh, they, they had one song. They had like one, Okay, they so were, there was at least one thing to listen to. Right, which is, I think, not too far from like a Kickstarter where they have a video and they're showing you like a product mock-up or the work they've done. Yeah. And so one, like, yes, people will buy it because it's cheap and because they want it and it validates the idea. But two, like, and Kickstarter has proven this over and over. You could go to Facebook and make Facebook ads and test your idea. In fact, this is exactly what Tim Ferriss tells you to do in the four hour work week. He's like, don't even have an audience, validate it with ads. So yeah, that can be a low cost way. I mean, it, it kind of violates my principle of like get people to pull out their checkbook and actually give you money. But that isn't like that. You can't do that in every single situation. Like I think the best kind, the best kind, no, 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 no. The best kind of situation is where you get someone to pay you money to validate. Like that's the most strong type of validation, Mm. but you can't always do that. Because not everything is suited to a Kickstarter and, you know, not you don't always have what you want to offer. So that, again, like running a Facebook ad or doing a survey, you know, in your city or something like that or to your list, if you have an audience, that can provide at least some form of validation. It isn't as strong as people handing you money, but it is validation still. And I like to think in terms of funnels. And I think like no matter what you're doing, and this is, I think this is like a key concept in monetization. Mm. You have to think in terms of funnels. Mm. Wherever you make money, that is the bottom of your funnel. Or at least, it's at least like not the top. I guess like you can, if you're doing like a tripwire style business where you're selling something really cheap to just get somebody to go from a lead to a customer, that's not the bottom of the funnel because obviously you have a profit maximizer at the end of that. But there's always going to be something upwards where so you're going to get a lot. So the top of your funnel would be 130,000 subscribers and the bottom of your the funnel of your Patreon's like 1,500 people. So the top of my funnel is my YouTube channel, my podcasts, all the mm. content I create. You have to always think like what is the effort you're putting in or or that you're expending in some way, money or time. That's the top of your funnel. So top of my funnel is my YouTube channel where I'm creating videos every week. 500,000 subscribers, you know, podcast episodes, however many subscribers that is the next level. I can get some of those people to sign up for my email list by getting my book. Not every single one of them, you know, I don't know what the conversion rate is on that because I don't track that particular stat too much these days, but it's like 300 people a day Mm. will sign up for the email list. So second level, I've got like 300 people a day coming into the email list. So that's what 9,000 people a month or, you know, give or take. So that's level two. Then you're going to have the next level, like, how many of those people buy your first or buy whatever you're offering? Mm. So when you have a business, you got to think I'm a window washer or I'm web designer or I'm selling widgets for, or I'm selling lollipops or something. You have to find a way to get your name out or to get an advertisement about you or something about you out to more people by probably an order of magnitude than the number of people that you need 
to buy from you for you to make your income goals. So once you set how much you need to make, once you decide on pricing, and we can talk about that, then you have to ask yourself, how am I gonna get out uh, the word about my business out to more people than that? Exactly, so, and I think the the gist is like, you, you want to start a consulting company, and you go and ask your neighbor if he wants your services because you um, consult in house building, and he mm-hmm. says no, uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a successful idea or business or no one wants it. You just right. had such a small sample size where maybe you should ask a thousand people, you know, yeah. through through an ad or, or whatever, and then see how many people are actually interested as a result, you know, and that's how you define yeah, exactly. kind of your funnel. But I want I want to take a step back because there there's two uh, key things I think that you need to consider when you either go into the lollipop business, you know, you build uh, some, you know, a business that can be supported by Patreon, um, you consult, whatever. Uh, one is, do you want your time to be tied to your money? Mm-hmm. And so for you, Thomas, that is very much not the case. If you went on vacation for a month, yeah, your income not. would probably stay roughly the same. Um, you know, but if you're a consultant on mm-hmm. how to build houses or say you're an architect and, and not that that is bad, but then your time is tied to your money. So if you decide to yeah. travel the world for a month, you don't make any money. So yep. I, I would. Yeah, con- my, uh, my accountant, his time is tied to his money because and, he's doing my taxes and I'm paying him a fixed amount for that. And, and, and I, I want to be clear that like, so your accountant, for example, it's not like, um, well, obviously I would never be an accountant. Because then my time will always be tied to my money and that's stupid. It's phase one or the first few phases can be you, you know, one is like you want to see do people need an accountant and you go out and you find clients and you get them and then you charge them and they pay you and then you grow to a point where you hire an accountant that works for you. And yep. so you, you grow that way. So it's to be clear that at that point, your time is not tied to your money. And I think it's important that it, like it may take you a while to get there, but that should be a destination, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and some businesses take just a while to play out and that's fine as long as you could see the path that you need to take. Um, the one other thing before we jump into like the, the meat of monetizing is I really think that uh, you need to price for the customers that you want. And so, for example, you're talking about Patreon and uh, the overwhelming uh, uh, thought that I have is that you are pricing for people who don't have income or disposable income and you yeah. want to impact those people so you're pricing accordingly. You know, and you've built a business um, that monetizes from companies, not from the customers, right? Yeah. However, uh, if you build something directly like say um, you're you're this consultant that helps build houses, you can charge you know five thousand dollars per pro- per project or a hundred dollars per project, and the question is like which customer do you really want, right? Because um, you're pricing for the customer that you want, but when it comes to the dollars that you charge, uh, it directly reflects like the amount of effort you have to put in, how you may possibly get treated. Um, yeah, I know. I know you've grown to have thick skin, but a lot of people don't 
in your audience don't necessarily appreciate. And in the same in mind, they don't necessarily appreciate what you do. And, you know, you fumble a word and they'll give you such shit even though you've given them the world for free, you know. And so the yeah. question is, is, it, you know, um, and I know it doesn't bother you because you don't you kind of channel it out. But like uh, if you're selling a lollipop or a widget or whatever it is and you price it so cheap, you're going to get those clients back. And so I think you need to consider it's not about only having rich people as clients, but it's about appropriately pricing to the value that you provide. It's not about fucking people yeah, over. It's about making uh, the most correct decision. Yeah, I remember when I was at StyleCon, there was a presentation from a guy named Dan Locke. And if you go to his website, like he has he has branded himself to be like the richest motherfucker you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> He's like wearing like super fancy ass suits and like his pictures of him holding brandy and like being a fancy ass club. But he did say like he's got a friend who in 2015 did seven figures in revenue. Um, but he had like 4,000 clients because he's selling super cheap products mm. and he works seven days a week and he has all this work to do. And yet his business only did about $10,000 more in revenue than Dan's business. And Dan has 42 clients or something like that. So like that was the idea he was trying to put forward. Like if you can, if you can come up with a service or product or something that you can charge a lot more for, then you have a lot fewer customers that you have to serve in order to meet your financial needs. And if you think on the value you could provide, like you could provide the world or as much as possible to 42 people, you could yeah. really go all out and just be indispensable. But mm -hmm. that, like it's impossible to do that for 4,000 people. It's just not scalable. And so yeah. at the end of the day, like if uh, what you put out, like you want it to be like the be all end all or something that's awesome and that can stand on its own two feet, you probably just need to price more to even support its creation. Yeah. So another example, like take, uh, you know, like a, a place that sells WordPress themes for, you know, 50 bucks each or like Squarespace, they charge what, 12 bucks a month, something like that. Mm. So they're just like, they're catering to somebody like the everyday client who wants to build a website and wants to do it for super cheap and they have to get a lot of people to support that. Like Spotify. Like, it's a concept that's like, infinitely scalable. Yeah. Like, or you could be a super specialized web designer who's like amazing at creating ridiculous like Ruby on Rails web applications and you only have like three clients but they each pay you $100,000 a year for mm -hmm. what you do. You know, you can build a business each way and uh, based on what you choose, you'll have fewer or more clients and you'll have fewer or more like touch points and people you actually have to serve though. You may have to provide, um, an extraordinary amount of value to that fewer amount of clients if you're going to go that way. So this is something we got to talk about before we even talk about value types. How do you price appropriately? Because I think this is, this is the thing that trips people up the most. Like my girlfriend does freelance graphic design and she's always like, I don't know how much to charge. When I started web designing back in high school, I was like, I have no, no freaking clue how much to charge. So how do you set your rates? Like if you're a freelancer okay. or whether you're selling a product, like what can you do let's, to let's talk figure about, out what you can charge? Let's talk about your time first. So I think that there's two or, or I mean, there's, there's 12 distinct value things and, and maybe we'll like kind of dive in. But if you are a consultant, and I, I think, uh, we're, we're, 
in in the 12 value types, that's a service. You're like a consultant, a plumber, a CPA, so on yeah. and so forth. Um, there is this book, I believe it's from Michael Port, called Book Yourself Solid. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the definitive approach to pricing yourself. Your first design client, if you're a designer, I don't know, are they a dollar? I mean, that's probably dumb. I don't know, is it $100? Maybe that's worth your time. $200, say it's $200. I charge 300 Whatever, that was, 300 That was my first client. Maybe, maybe, so that means someone paid you, right? So yes. then that at least works. And so what you could do is, as per Michael Port, is you could fill your time completely then with $300 clients until you have not a minute left. And then the next client that wants your services, you charge them 400 And it's mm. it's basically like, hey, dude, like, I'm sorry, I have no time left. If you want my time, you have to be more valuable than another client. And that's one way, or I believe that you don't have to wait until you've like stressed yourself to the max. On client two, three, four, you can test a three fifty price and see if yeah. that works. Test a four hundred, and you know what? If you say four hundred, and they're like, "I can't afford that," um, you could feel like your pro- your pride is blown up and be like, "Fuck this client!" Like I don't want them anyways. They're stupid. Or you could be an adult. And a business owner be like, okay, how about three fifty? You know, yeah. and, if, and if they're like, no, and three fifty is your number, then you could walk away. You shouldn't be afraid to test higher and have it fail because that's the only way right. that you get higher. Yeah, and I think so. This is a fundamental truth of monetization that people have to realize. And we, we talked about this exact same concept in the uh, the salary negotiation episode that we did recently. Mm. The more sold that somebody is on your offering, whether it's you as an employee for their business or whether it's something that you're offering as a business owner, you know, the more reasons they have in their mind for why they want it, the, um, the less likely the price is going to be an objection. And also this is even more important, the less likely that price is going to be a deal killer. So as I think like in most, in, you know, most reasonable people, if they come to you, they like your work, they think you're going to, you know, you can do a good job and you've had a bit of time, you know, back and forth to discuss what they want. When it comes time for you to quote your price and you tell them, Hey, it's going to be $400. They're not going to be like, fuck you. That's way too high. I'm never talking to you again. Mm-hmm. What they're going to say is, I don't think we can make that work. Would you be able to do $300? And, you I, know, I, and then, you can, then you can haggle or something. You can be like, well, I can do 350. Uh, you know, I can maybe throw in an extra page on the website or something like that, or, or like, you know, two months of support or something like that. And, and, and dude, you're, you're hitting on what I think is the, the core piece of it is that if, if they said no to 400, it's it's far less likely that you're not worth 400 and far more likely that you've done a shitty job conveying the value that you're going to provide, have yeah. provided. You know, so in the example of Anna, if she's paying, if she's charging 200, I don't know how much she's charging. So just, let's mm-hmm. just say 200 for X. Um, and uh, she goes to 300 and someone has a problem with it. Maybe they don't understand the process of what she does and how yeah. much time she puts into it, you know, the thought. Um, and then if she was to convey that, then they'd be like, oh, shit, like I didn't realize that you were you actually gave that much of a shit and you were trying. I would definitely pay yeah. you 300 for that. And I so, think you have to communicate what you're doing, but you also have to tie it into the value that it brings to them. 
So you can't just be like, well, it takes me 20 hours to do this. You have to be like, it takes me this much time because I think about how this is going to fit into your overall branding. I think about how it's going to communicate, um, you know, what you're about to your customers. And overall, it's going to build better goodwill. It's going to make people more likely to come back. They're going to have a better feeling of your overall business. And that's going to increase your sales. Uh, I was talking, actually, I did like a five mile walk with a good friend of mine who runs his own business in Des Moines here the other day. And he was telling me, he often he, he kind of gets discouraged when he'll like he'll quote a price for a job to a client and the client will be like, well, why do we have to pay that much? And in his mind, and he, he told me this exactly. He said, when they say that, I perceive that as a no. Mm, so like it's like so not I, him, I, I would like, always like, ask that. I was like, no, that is not a no. What that person is asking you is is tell me why I need to pay this much. Mm. He's basically giving you an opening. Please, please convince me as to why I should pay this much money. So it is not a no and it shouldn't discourage you. It is now an opportunity for you to sell them on the value of what you've quoted. We're going to give you this, this, and this. It's going to, you know, improve your processes. Your employees are going to have less time to get trained up. They're going to be more productive. You're spending less time on their salaries or, you know, less money on their salaries when they're not productive and you're going to make more money overall. You're going to have a much more well-oiled business. And I would say like, what if the, the guy is just not a great wordsmith and he didn't mean to be a dick about it? You know, here here you are parsing, not you, but here he is parsing out this guy's words and assuming that it's a no or the guy doesn't like him or doesn't value him. When, you know, you're trying to run a business, you should actually flip yeah. the mindset and just feel like the guy wants me and what I provide. He just doesn't understand what he's going to get. Yeah, and so I, I think of that, even if people uh, yeah. are being like a dick or an asshole, if you just approach it that way. If you don't get a hard no, consider any reluctance or pushback or questions just as like the customer or whoever you're talking to, they want you to sell them on the value of it. They need to be convinced, so convince them. Take that as an opportunity to convince them, mm-hmm. not as pushback or a no or you know a dejection or failure or whatever. If they're just like, absolutely, no, this is won't work for us. You know, obviously that's a different story. And, but you know, that I think that's like one of the more tricky value propositions to price is when you are a server, you're providing a service, right? I mean, you could be, say, say you are a plumber and I think it's pretty common what is appropriate to say, have your sink fixed. You know, if, if it takes, you know, a few minutes of work to fix something in your sink and you charge a thousand dollars, you're not going to get a lot of business because that's inappropriate, you know? So that, that's one thing. Um, but there are certain businesses are going to have a going rate, right? Like, so for example, much more you, unless you're like throwing in a free massage or something, but I don't think most people want a massage from their plumber. So, you know, if you're going to be a plumber, there are just certain businesses you're going to get into that have rates that you can't really do much for example, change. if you're if you're an agency, so we get our ads through this company called Midroll, and mm-hmm. every ad that they get us, they take thirty percent, and that's what they take. And I guess yep. that's what the going rate is, or whatever. You know, maybe you're a literary agent. Literary agents take X percent. Maybe it's twenty percent, fifteen percent, whatever it is. Yep. And and I'm sure if you talk to fifty of a hundred of them, they're all going to be very close to that number. You know. Mm-hmm. And the same could go for like a rental property where it's like that's the going neighborhood, the, the price for the neighborhood. So if your business yeah. is more in that realm, a little bit of research will tell you exactly what you're worth. Yeah, uh, the the more uncommon the value is that you're 
proposing, the more flexibility I think you have on pricing. And this relates to products as well. I mean, why do we pay a premium for an iPhone mm. or a Mac? You know, there are there are certain things about the product that convince a certain audience of people to pay a premium. I am so worked up right now. I just need to take <laughs> I just need to take a sip of beer. I'm like I'm like ready to just like start belting and yelling into the mic. Let me just okay. <laughs> Uh, Hello, everybody. <laughs> Man, I got I got on the yelling spree. Uh, yeah, I, I think product is um, perhaps the hardest, or one of the hardest to price. It depends on the product. Again, mm. you know, I guess if there's a pair of shoes. You know, people have an expectation. Like, for what shoes. do you price coffee? You price coffee what the prices are in town. You, know, you can't. I guess if you're in San Francisco, you can charge eight bucks for a latte because your coffee shop is literally called Pretentious Coffee Shop Incorporated. <laughs> and we source the finest beans from Mars and the most only the most coiffed hair and beard oiled up beard man roasts them over but an open fire Thomas, and blah, blah, blah. But like you're for the holding- most part, like, you know, if you're not in San Francisco, it's like, all right, people pay four dollars and 50 cents for a large latte at starbucks you if you don't charge that no one's going to come to your coffee shop and if you charge less than that then you're just losing money you're holding this this yellow cup of starbucks which is by, like beyond prolific at this point like in new york it's literally every block or like yep. just about has a starbucks and when starbucks came out everyone was like up in arms like, it was like an upheaval can you believe how much these people are charging for a coffee and if you just take like a very brief look into the general personal finance space, you will find that 80% of the blogs have an angry post about how much you spend at Starbucks. Yet- yeah, but I don't think they're saying that Starbucks charges too much. I think that's just like the easiest, most trite thing to say to like, stop your Starbucks habit and you could save $300 a month, you know? But I don't think they're trying to say like Starbucks charges more than your local corner coffee shop because they don't. Well, okay, so they, they don't. And because I also think that Starbucks paved the way. And so pre-Starbucks, there was Dunkin' Donuts. And you make it at mm-hmm. home. And there was like very few um, artisanal coffee places. Starbucks yeah. kind of was like, oh shit, people want to go to a place, pay like a decent amount for coffee, and enjoy the atmosphere and like get something good. And so uh, people will pay for what they want. Like... Just because, right? But so that that goes back to the value proposition because Starbucks is targeting a different audience of people who want something different. They want a better experience. Mm. So yeah, if you're competing with like the gas station coffee, of course you can make a better value proposition there. We make better and coffee, is better atmosphere. You know, you think of the people, and not to like you know prejudge the people and where they buy their coffee, but I would say in a general sense, overall. People who are going to the artisanal coffee place on the corner with the guy with the oiled up beard are probably nicer to the dude making the coffee with the artisanal <laughs> beard than they are to the person working at Dunkin' Donuts. Because at Dunkin' Donuts, know. the coffee is a dollar and it attracts a certain type of customer versus the person who's going to buy the artisanal coffee and pay $8 wherever they pay, they're, they're expecting something different and not that there is anything wrong with the Dunkin' Donuts model, but... Yeah, but devil's advocate, if you sell a higher price product in some markets, you're going to get more like spoiled, snooty people who are like way too over-expecting and like way ungrateful 
You know, I absolutely agree. I don't want to get on this point that like if you charge more, you're going to get a quote unquote better clientele. No, no sometimes no, no. you will. Sometimes you're going to get some assholes who are ridiculously entitled pricks. You could buy a coach bag less, for how many you know? hundreds of dollars and you can yeah, also I buy a fanny pack for like 20 bucks. Right. I would rather um, like run the cash register at a Carhartt store than like a Chanel store. And, and so I, but I agree with you. But the thing is, is there's some space between $20 and $500 and maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's 30. I don't know where you're charging appropriately and you're not being a dick and you can be proud of the service you provide. Um, and where people are equally happy to pay you for what you're providing. And, and so it's not about like fucking people over. I think it's about like finding the band of, of awesomeness. Right, for, yeah. You're trying to find out like what, what can I offer? What's my value proposition and what are, what, what is the group of people that are going to go for this and what can I charge that they will work, you know, that they will, um, that they'll go for. And depending on what you're selling and who your, um, who your audience is, there's a certain amount of like price, price elasticity or inelasticity. And so this is a term that they teach you in economics class. Basically it means like as you change your price, the demand either shifts or doesn't shift. If mm. it does shift, that means this is a very price elastic group of people. And if they don't shift, then it's a very price inelastic group of people. So like jewelry is a very inelastic group of products because I can be like, yeah, I charge $5,000 for this stupid hunk of rock that's shiny or $6,000 and the schmuck from down the road is still going to buy it you because know- I can, I can use certain sales tactics and cultural expectations to get you to buy that. But your coffee is a pretty elastic category because if I sell coffee for $5 per latte, a lot of people are not going to buy that. And you'll have to, yes, adjust your volume appropriately. But I also think that point is very instructional because, uh, if you're looking at jewelry, you know, and people are paying an enormous amount versus, you know, not, you know, maybe they're going to, I don't know what the, the cheapest, jewelry is but the point is if someone's going to charge you five thousand dollars for something and then someone else is going to charge you a hundred dollars for something it shows how wide the pricing like range is to be Mm -hmm. successful so if you're charging ten dollars and you are flipping a shit about going to twelve dollars like i think that you're focused like like you're being delusional because you know someone will gladly charge them 50 and there will be people who will pay for it. So, uh, the, but like, again, there I, has I, to be a, a different value proposition. And I think that's the thing you know? is as long as you're prov- actually providing value that people will pay for, then, then you're fine. And and right. that comes to like the first, like just the other day, hypothesis. I read an article, um, saying that like Uber has access to the battery data from your phone's API. And what they've learned is that people who have a battery near dead are much more likely to accept high surge pricing. Now, they say that they don't use that to charge you more money by, you know, taking stock of what your battery is and then knowing Uber, they probably pay more. But Uber is a bunch of dicks and they probably would do that. Uh, But that's just to say, like, again, they know that there is a there's a variable. This person is desperate to get home before their their battery dies. So they are more price inelastic. Mm. But if you're just like, I sell cereal at my corner grocery store and there is a Wegmans right across the street, I'm just going to charge 50 bucks for my cereal. Like no one's going to buy it. But if you're like literally the only grocery store around and people are starving and you have the last box of Fruit Loops and they'll die if they don't get it, then sure, 
So you always have to ask yourself, if I'm going to make a pricing change, number one, I'll run a test on it, you know, because testing is good. But number two, I have to be able to justify my price change. So uh, either by testing it and seeing what happens, but also by saying like, all right, what's my competitive landscape and how do I offer some sort of some different service, whether it be I I'm the go only into, game in town or I do something better. You know? I want to go into resale. So so you gave the, the serial example and mm-hmm. I think uh, quite a lot or maybe I want to say like the majority of businesses in America are resale, but there is quite i mean like walmart well, you know probably is walmart's like the biggest employer they're the reseller walmart's not a reseller walmart's they're they're a retailer they're customer facing okay okay they sell products yes they're a retailer a reseller is a middleman is i mean Wal- i guess is walmart guess, not a middleman okay, to kellogg's I guess, I guess you are kind of a reseller but the term reseller means that you're b2b i i got you like, I'm, I'm following the 12 value or i guess categories. i don't know maybe not maybe not I, th- I think that they are resale. they are buying something in bulk for cheap and selling it to you for okay. slightly so like more. A resale is it the the purchase of the sale of something previously bought. So yeah, I guess if you are not like directly, so if you're not Tesla, like and, they, and cards, then they make yeah, you're a reseller because Tesla sells directly to the customer, right? And Tesla adds value somewhere in the middle of the process where they're buying yeah, a bunch I, of components. You could say then yes, Walmart's a reseller. Uh, sure, yeah. So, I don't know what I was. <laughs> 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 so, but yeah, I guess I, I think of like a wholesaler and a distributor and then a retailer as like two separate entities. And you would probably have like a different way of going about doing business based on which one you choose. So I think you have like the very straight and narrow. You get Kellogg's for X price from Kellogg's and then you sell it in your store. And there's like a certain tight band of what people are willing to pay for a box yeah. of Kellogg's because there are clear expectations and you could, like you said, literally go across the street and get it cheaper elsewhere. Right. Um, however, Laura is in a business that I find very interesting. She thrift flips, so she goes and she finds clothes that mm-hmm. retail originally for like $100, $300, buys them for a dollar, dollar ninety-nine, maybe $3.00 like the really expensive ones, and then resells it. And so mm-hmm. if it if say it retailed for three hundred dollars, she could realistically be like, hey, I I should sell this for like two fifty. It's never been worn. It's you know brand new with tags, and they get a fifty dollar discount. But she will find so many fewer buyers there. Whereas if she sold this dress that originally costs like $100, $200, and sells it for $30, she's going to have pe- people beating down her door to buy this, mm-hmm. and yet it still only costs her $3.99 or whatever. So I think an important thing to consider with something like resale is what you, like, you determine your prices based on the margin of profit that you desire. And yeah. so... And I would say in her like in her case, there is a little bit of there there's a little bit of perception difference built there. Mm. You know, like a box of cereal doesn't really have that advantage because you can't be like, yeah, most you know, you don't you don't sell used cereal, like a box of poop in it, and be like, This was Fruit Loops, <laughs> this is used Fruit Loops, and it's only two dollars now because it's <laughs> slightly used. But no, like with a dress that, you know, it's like a thrift thing, absolutely you can be like, Yeah, this was this retailed for 
$200 and I'm selling it for 30, you get that great uh, anchoring effect there mm. where like the customer realized like that was 200 bucks and like, I yeah, it was used, but is, is the discount worth it? Hell yeah, for 30 bucks. So that absolutely makes sense. And I think yes. that is the making of a business because could she charge 250? Like absolutely she could charge 250 and I'm mm-hmm. sure that she would find buyers, but that's not like the goal of her business. So her and, goal is to is to you know make a good margin based on what she paid for it and push volume, right? Yeah, and push. So that is exactly what Amazon does. Mm. You know, and Amazon does a great job of uh, of you know taking advantage of that anchoring effect. Like with a lot of products you see on the site, you'll see like the retail suggested price crossed out, and then you'll see like what it actually is. So that kind of helps with that anchoring. But Amazon is all about the margin. Like that's their big thing, and they they try to basically be like the Walmart of the internet where it's like it needs to be the lowest price here that's like their main goal so they make a lot of their money through pressuring their suppliers to sell them uh you know bulk discounted items so that they could still sell for like the cheapest price possible but make a good margin i am realizing that it is rare that an episode gets me so like fired up (laughs) uh and and like business so I, I could literally go I, I mean you see the the notes and I could probably yell for another 10 uh yeah. value types I, my question do you think that we've do you think that we've covered I think we've covered a lot of stuff I definitely don't think we've covered everything but we've definitely covered a lot of stuff what so what what do you think uh we could add in mm, we need questions from people but Let's see here. I mean, we could talk about all these different things, but I think like the big, the big question everyone's going to have is like, how do I set my prices? Mm. You know, so you got to think about the value you're providing to the customer. Um, how does that compare to the other offerings in your area? How do you differentiate and can you use that differentiation to set a different price? Think about the specific group of customers you're targeting. You know, if you're targeting the super oily bearded hipsters who want to pay five bucks for a cup of coffee, then you can do that. But then you have to ask, like, what group am I targeting with this price point? Are there enough of them for me to make meet my revenue goals? Like, and I would you know, say Walmart that- doesn't price at a premium, but they get enough people. They have the biggest retail store in the world because mm-hmm. their pricing strategy is their marketing strategy. And there's enough people who that is the most persuasive argument for mm-hmm. uh, that they make their money. I think that there's enough examples out there of just successful businesses in all different sectors that you could probably find a few examples. You know, maybe yeah. like you're selling, a, you know, um, a course. Well, there are shit. There's like a ton of courses out there for sale online. And if you just, you know, spent two days and did an enormous amount of research, you'd have like a pretty good idea of like what is appropriate. Yeah. Um, always compare. Do do your research. Do what you can to compare. And uh, I, I think the one thing that I that we probably like stated implicitly but not explicitly is my favorite pricing model is value based pricing. Mm. So I think where a lot of people get tripped up is like say they're a graphic designer or they're a web designer or they're doing some sort of like service based work. There's this inclination to charge based on how much time it takes you to do the job. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my accountant charges 30 bucks an hour. Or and my, that you know, penalizes you charges. for efficiency. So if it you're does. really good at your job right. and it takes you an hour to do what everyone takes 10 to do. Yes. Like. And I mean, the, the ultimate concept here is that th- your customer 
does not or should not give a crap about what you have to do. They should only care about what they're getting, what the value of that is. Mm. So like, am I getting an amazing haircut? I don't care if you had some machine that comes down and does it in five seconds. Mm. Like I want a great haircut. You know, are you doing my taxes so that the IRS doesn't come knock my door down and like with balaclavas on and kidnap me in the middle of the night? Sweet. I will pay you a thousand dollars for that because the next guy won't do it that good. I don't care if it takes you one minute or if it takes you 10 hours. So that's and that's something that I started doing immediately when I was a web designer back when I was a teenager. Um, I knew that like I could charge based on an hourly rate and I saw a lot of web designers putting their hourly rates online. But I was like, what if I just charged by the project or the project? Sure, I might get burned if it turns out to be technically demanding and there's something that comes up and it's hard. Uh, in fact, I did get burned <laughs> one time. How? Sort why? Of. I didn't get burned, burned, but I, I almost screwed myself. So there was a job on Craigslist. This lady ran a dog daycare and she wanted somebody to come in and put like webcams in the dog rooms and then like hook them up to a web server and like have a stream that people could log into and watch their dogs from work. And I was like, I know about you stream. I could probably do this. I've never done it before, but in my head, it just seems like, okay, buy a USB extension cord, hook up the webcam and tie it to a Ustream server and then just embed the Ustream code on her website. That should take me like two hours. Um, I got into some shit that was like, so she had two locations at one location, like the computer, they were running their entire business off of like the one copy of the QuickBooks file, no backups. That computer was like full of dog hair. I opened it and it was like literally full to the brim of dog hair. I don't know how it was still <laughs> running. So I was like, you need a new computer. So I ended up going to Best Buy with her, like helping her pick out a new computer, getting that all like I had a ladder. I was like stapling the cord to the walls, like contractor work, basically. This is the first time you did this, though, right? First time I've ever done it. So I had no idea what was involved. And then I go to her other location and it turns out like the distance from the computer to the dog room would be ridiculous. So I had to literally climb up up into the attic and balance on like the beams <laughs> so I didn't fall through her her weird brittle ceilings. And I was like sweating and dying. And then like the Windows computer died. So I tried to like create a Linux computer and then I realized there was no drivers for webcams. So we had to go buy another computer. And how much did I charge her for that? I quoted 50 bucks <laughs> and it took me like 25 hours of work over the course of like a week. And, but dude, did you ever heart. learn something? Bless her. Oh, I did. But bless her heart. She was like, you put in so much work. She ended up paying me 250 instead of 50. And then she gave me that old Linux computer, which I took to college and used as like a little Ubuntu box to hack around on. Oh dude. So but, it actually worked so out. It worked out. She was super nice, but yeah, like had she you know, very fairly decided to pay me just the 50 bucks I quoted then I would have been making like two bucks an hour off that job. But <laughs> I was quoting off of the value that I was providing. You know, that's always been a value of mine. Like what am I providing to my customer? And that's what I did with my web design business. I was like, uh, I don't want you to have to pay per hour cause I'm not giving you hours. I'm giving you a website. So and I'll tell this you website what costs a thousand dollars, whether it takes me my entire life to do it or whether it takes me five minutes, even though it didn't, I mean, it actually did work out in the end, but it could have definitely not worked work at, uh, definitely not could have worked out. Uh, I think it's the only way that you, you could do it like that. You literally just have to try something, go out there and either get screwed or not. And it's the only yeah. way you're going to learn. Like you're going to get screwed. You could have, 
you could have wait, like waited a week because you're asking, polling people on Facebook and you flew to California to ask your grandma, like, what should I price? And the, and the job could have left. Or, yep. you know, you just have to, you have to try. So regardless of whether you have some bad experiences regarding your pricing in the beginning, you're building your reputation and you're learning. And eventually that's probably going to pay off and you're going to be able to charge a heck of a lot more than you did when you started. And I'm going to say like that, uh, and I don't know about you, but for me, like this is like four years, listen, money matters. I have failed more and made more terrible decisions <laughs> than like, like many fold over than has worked yet. Somehow it's a successful business. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, you just have to keep like, you don't go around the wall, you go through the wall and you just have to like, you have to be okay with much of what you do not working to be able to get to what works. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really easy to look at a successful business and just perceive that they've been successful always, but that's because you never see their failures because they were failures, you know? Like, not everyone wears their failures on their sleeve. I launched a T-shirt last year, and it took us like five months to just break even on the investment that we used to print the shirts. And since then we haven't made one sale over that. Maybe, maybe we've made one. Mm. So I think I've made like $7 in profit off of that entire endeavor. But now, you know, people don't want t-shirts from you. Well, no, I think what I realized, so you have, you have to really analyze and try to see what the lesson is there because Mm. yes, I could say, okay, people don't want t-shirts for me. Or I could say, all right, the slogan we use in the t-shirt wasn't applicable mm. to most people because we use like college ends learning doesn't, which I think is a cool slogan. But you know, if you have a channel with your audience, that's mostly high school and college students, the college isn't done for them. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense for them. And you know, I can, I could be like you bonehead. Why didn't you think of that before you printed the t-shirt to myself? But you get excited and you do things and you test things and you learn your lesson. So the next t-shirt I do, I know that now we have to have something that's going to apply to everyone or at least the grand majority of the audience if they're going to buy the shirt (laughs) i have to say this episode was intense i think i may need to bring an emergency beer to every episode just in case (laughs) throbbing Uh, i actually i actually thought it was really good and and i think that we we covered a lot um our opinions on how to run a business are, well, I think there's there's a lot of common ground, but we're we're pretty, like it's pretty disparate. Yet we both have successful businesses, and the I think the only thing you can get from that is that there's not one way to skin a cat. Like there's multiple oh, ways yeah. to do it and be successful. And like the guys that that you pay uh, crash course are wildly successful. With mm-hmm. one of the blogs that I love, WaitButWhy.com. The guy makes like 25K or something a month from Patreon. That's his only monetization. Yeah. So, like, if you take anything away from this, I think that there is no wrong choice. Like, like not doing or not trying is the wrong mm-hmm. choice. Um, but if people have succeeded on, like, such a, a wide breadth of pricing and business types, uh, like... How could you not? Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of opportunity out there. There's a ton of different audiences, a ton of different ways you can structure your product and your pricing and everything. You just got to go out there and test. Hmm. So I think that's, that's good for now. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, that's all we got for this episode. So thank you guys for listening. You can email us once again, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. You can also find our toolbox of resources for managing your money and for growing a business over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Uh, sorry, toolbox. I like something's caught in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all we've got. So until next week, we will see you later. Later, man. See ya. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank <laughs> you.